Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I was so interested to learn about a recent series of grants that are being made in the area of research by the Canine Health Foundation, which is part of the AKC, the American Kennel Club. And there's constantly grants being given to wonderful researchers to find all kinds of cures for various illnesses and problems that dogs have. The, the most recent group, two of them interested me enormously because it seemed to me there was great value to any breed of dog that has the particular kinds of cancer being studied, and maybe even people. And what most fascinated me was the gentleman that I get to talk to and who I'm going to welcome to the show is Dr. Charles Garvin, who's the chairman of the Canine Health Foundation Board of Directors. And what fascinated me is that his doc he's a doctor of human ophthalmology, but a passionate Dalmatian breeder, handler, many champions, and judge. And for 21 years, he's been on the board of directors and is now the chairman. So he's going to talk about, in a very technical medical way, what some of these grants are for. But, but Dr. Garvin, welcome to the show. And I just want to say, it's very interesting to get a behind-the-scenes look at how the AKC functions, both as a regulatory board and for dog shows as well as breeders, but also for the Health Foundation, which is clearly an area that matters a great deal to you. 21 years on the board of directors, how much of your time does that take? Being on the board of directors of the American Kennel Club um, does take uh, quite a 
investment in time. Uh, I need to be in New York for our board meetings uh, three or four days uh, every month, uh, as well as uh, a couple of week-long events that we uh, participate in. That's a lot. There's also... (laughs) I mean, you're based in Marion, Ohio, so this is a huge huge, uh, amount of time, money, and energy, and effort, and passion for the wellness of purebred dogs, and, and I'm sure dogs, any sort of dogs... That's an enormous amount of time. How many people are on the board with you? There are 13 members of the board of the American Kennel Club. And just to clarify, the AKC Canine Health Foundation is a separate organization, a uh, 501c3 organization, and the uh, Health Foundation is the largest organization organization dedicated purely to the funding of canine health research in the world. The uh, So I'm chairman of the board of the AKC Canine Health Foundation. There are 15 members on that board. Oh my uh, there, are, there are some overlaps. So there are, are four AKC board members on the Canine Health Foundation board of directors. Uh, and the AKC is one of the major um, uh, sponsors and funders of the Canine Health Foundation. So it's separate, but uh, uh, closely related. Closely related, um, even even right. joined at the hip. And I'm sure a lot of you gentlemen and ladies have known each other, some of you maybe even since childhood, since the passion of the dog fancy often is handed down generation to generation and starts very young in people's lives. Is that Was that the case for you? Yes, I got started... Uh, Back when I was uh, 13 years old, I got our first Dalmatian, and uh, I got that because my older sister, one of my three older sisters, had a, a dog that she had taken through obedience class and gotten a nice little trophy on graduation, and I thought, wow, that's something that I want to do. <laughs> Isn't that so, great? <laughs> and I know that the so AKC has a whole a whole wing of it, if you will, that promotes young people learning about breeding and handling and showing. It's its kind of a wonderful sport, and it's a world unto itself. People that are, are into rescue and um, and are, are focused mostly on that and maybe don't understand what goes into dog breeding when it's done well and with such passion and seriousness, but also what goes into the showing of dogs that is really much more than a beauty contest since it has to start with breeding that leading back to the Canine Health Foundation, one of the main tenets of serious breeders is the health of the dogs, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons that you breed is away from problems and towards health. Absolutely. That's very important. And and certainly with the development of a wide range of genetic tests yes. over the past uh, few years, that has made it possible for breeders to have more information to um, selectively breed their dogs with the idea of reducing the prevalence of genetically related canine diseases. Uh, It may be very difficult to entirely eradicate some of the diseases, but by paying attention to what information is out there, what tests are available, the results of the test, um, one can breed effectively to reduce the severity and the frequency of those diseases. So if we just look selfishly, if you will, at Dalmatians, many of us grew up 
loving the the Disney cartoon 101 Dalmatians, but also viewing Dalmatians as part of great art that was that goes back centuries of the Dalmatians following along with carriages and so forth. But I thought, and I'm wondering if with the breeding that you've been doing for so long, if 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 there was deafness, right? Am I right? Was that one of the things that was genetically linked to Dalmatians? Yes, Dalmatians do have a uh, higher um, prevalence of deafness than uh, most other breeds. And the uh, one of the interesting things was it wasn't until the 1980s when it was realized that um, uh, Dalmatians and other breeds too, but especially Dalmatians, will um, occasionally have hearing in just one ear. Oh. And they function fairly normally, but the um, so-called BAER, brainstem auditory evoked response testing, was developed in the uh, 1980s where you could actually test young puppies, adults too, but most of the testing is done in young puppies, to determine if they're, what their hearing status is. Are they... Uh, deaf in both ears, um, are they deaf in just one ear, or they hear uh, normally in both ears. And with this knowledge, that permits the breeders to be more careful in their breeding. The bilaterally deaf Dalmatians are, are never to be bred. Unilateral, um, the dogs that hear in one ear only, uh, can be bred successfully, and they make just perfectly fine pets. Uh, but you need to be careful, uh, for example, breeding both the sire and the dam, who are unis, greatly increases the prevalence of deafness. Now, the overall deafness rate is in the range of, of um, 8% of uh, puppies that are, are born that are bilaterally deaf, and uh, unilaterally deaf is about twice that number. However, that number has decreased substantially in the decade since the testing has been um, uh, developed and become widespread and is is uh, used by every responsible breeder nowadays. Which is, I think, just, you know, proof of the fine-tuning of a breed that something you can't even see that isn't even, you know, externally visible and has nothing to do with temperament even or, or functionality in, in whatever, if the dog was meant to be able to do a certain task, is that that close attention to detail has wound up with healthier and healthier dogs. Not that not that a deaf dog is necessarily unhealthy, and as you call them unis, I love that, unilaterally deaf, um, they can lead a perfectly happy life. Let's just jump for a minute because that was what caught my attention. The The Canine Health Foundation has so many grants, and I, I'm always interested in them, but some of them seem very specific to a breed, sort of, let's say, like the Dalmatian deafness. In fact, one of the grants that, that has been granted was English Cocker Spaniels Get Cancer of the Anal Sacs. Well, that's not exactly the sort of thing that people <laughs> sitting by their radio go, oh, wow, that's really cool. I can't wait to find out what they find out. You know, I mean, just to be totally selfish, if you have an English sure. Cocker Spaniel, you're like, oh, I'm predisposed to that? Yike, I better listen. But the other two sound as if they have such wide-ranging consequences, and I'm not going to even begin to try 
to pronounce the, the number of words that are in the grant, but basically it's a clinical trial of a new chemotherapy protocol using drugs that do not require special handling and therefore may be w more widely available than currently used chemotherapy protocols given the incredibly high incidence of canine cancer and the fact that many cancers respond really well to chemotherapy, but that the chemotherapy medications are toxic, I guess is a perfectly good word, but I think of it more as like radioactive. It has to be handled with all special PPE and gloves and so forth by the oncology uh, practice or the oncology practitioners in another practice. So this is a huge deal, is it not? That there's a way to give chemotherapy where the humans and others, family members, other dogs in the family are not at risk to be near it? Correct. And if you think of it, uh, many of the chemotherapeutic agents are basically poison. Yes. They're designed to poison the cancer cells. So uh, like uh, basically all poisons, they have to be in general handled carefully, but some are really toxic and require uh, a great deal of precautions in using them. And the difficulty comes in if you're a uh, human and have cancer, you can go to a uh, dedicated cancer center right. and get uh, high-level treatments. But if it's your dog that has cancer, uh, ideally you'd like to be able to go to your local veterinarian exactly. who has access to the treatments that your dog needs. Now, the ordinary veterinarian is not going to be able, uh, either physically or financially, to uh, store and maintain the extremely toxic chemicals that have been used traditionally in the chemotherapy regimens. So if there's treatment available that uh, uh, can be used by the local veterinarian, that would be a great boost to the dogs and the dog owners um, when cancer uh, is involved. Obviously, there's a long way to go to prove that the uh, alternative medicines are as effective as the high-powered drugs, but uh, uh, the more we can research how to make that work, how to make it practical as well as effective is the goal. It's a great goal, and it's being uh, carried out at Colorado State University. It, it Just in lay terms, although it's the words in the grant, a practical multi-agent chemotherapy protocol that avoids injectable cytotoxics. It's, it's going to, I think, have it, it may not flourish instantly and prove brilliant instantly, but it's clearly on a path that would be not only fantastic for people's dogs suffering from cancer, who many of whom might now choose to treat their dogs, and in other cases have chosen not to treat because either they can't afford the time away from home, driving long distances to a cancer center, or the whole thing just feels too stressful for them and their dog, whereas if they could go to their vet at home, it would change the whole picture. And they could, many times, chemotherapy can buy you six months, a year, a year and a half, even dramatically more time if used correctly, right, on the right kind of cancer. But a lot of dogs aren't getting access to that because it's out of reach, either geographically mm -hmm. or in other ways, emotionally out of reach for people. So I think it's it's a, a great grant and obviously would help 
humans enormously too. The other one that is very interesting also in cancer is metastatic canine osteosarcoma. And osteosarcoma, bone cancer, as many people listening know, I've talked about a lot on the Pet Cancer Vet, my show that is in is in hiatus now, but we've, we've talked about it. But in this case, investigators will determine which cells produce a promising canine bone cancer biomarker that could help predict tumor behavior and dog survival time. That's pretty unusual too, isn't it? It's going to look at a biomarker that tells you how the tumor will express itself? It, does that mean will it grow quickly? Will it invade quickly? Right. As, as uh, there are so many different types and subsets of cancer, uh, some of which, for example, will respond well to treatments and some will not. Exactly. Some will metastasize or spread much faster than others. And traditionally, a biopsy is required to uh, determine what type of cancer it is and what subtype it is. Uh, If there are biomarkers that are produced by the uh, cancer itself or by the body fighting the cancer, if those biomarkers can be detected by a more simple test, a blood test uh, or even a urine test, that could identify the type and subtype of cancer, that would be a huge step forward to make the diagnosis easier uh, for the canine patient and their owner, um, uh, but also then make it easier to choose the proper treatment exactly, or in some situations, non-treatment. If right. It's the type that really does not respond well, uh, you know, if it, if it, is predicted that it's going to be kind of a waste of time and money and um, emotion, uh, pain hope, and suffering. Yeah, right. Uh, then it's if you can find that out with a blood test, that would be huge. It would be gigantic, I think, and that's going to be done at the University of Guelph. That 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 research work. Well, Dr. Garvin, we've come to the end of our time, but everything that the Canine Health Foundation is doing is fascinating, as well as what the AKC does and how it does it. It's a, it, it's a, an amazing world, and I, I hope I can have you on another time and we can just talk about the difference between being a breeder, a handler, and a judge. I mean, you've done all those things, and I, I just, I think we all wonder what's it like to have that power in the ring when you get to look and look and look and go, you're the one. Anyway, it's great to meet you and wonderful how much of your life you've dedicated to canine health and wellness. Thank you so much for being here and for all your many, many years of service to the dogs of America and the world. Well, you're certainly welcome. And if people want more information, I'd encourage them to visit our website at akcchf.org. And ORG, it's a nonprofit, all for the good of the dogs. Thanks again, Dr. Garvin. Thank you. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. 
The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat. <laughs> 